Hello, and welcome to Insights Track. A corona-free week this week as we discuss the long-standing hot topic of managed programmatic versus the self-service model. To talk about this issue and why it's not really the one or the other divide it's sometimes made out to be, I'm joined by Charlie Neer, Chief Revenue Officer for the US here at MIQ, and by Rob Jones, our VP of Research and Insights. So, Charlie, we're going to talk about managed service programmatic and self-serve programmatic. Um, We'll get into the nuance of that binary in a minute. But first, at a top level, what are we talking about with those terms? What do we mean by self-serve and managed service? Yeah, so whenever we think of or when we discuss self-serve, what we mean is companies activating their media for themselves using a tool set that they've in-housed or created. So not using a third party to activate, optimize, or report on ads. Um, and that's important distinction because you need all three pillars. Um, and then when we talk about managed service, it's the use of a third party um, to deliver some source of either strategy, planning, execution, or analysis for a programmatic campaign. That party is usually obviously outside the company umbrella that you work in. So um, good example is a advertiser can run managed service through an agency. Um, they can also use uh, an advertiser can have self-service for themselves, which means they actually have people and tools to activate on the platforms themselves. And so what we're going to talk about today, though, is the fact that it's not as as binary as that, that there's kind of a, a world of options between those two things. Can you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, I think, you know, in mathematics, they say there's an infinite number of numbers between zero and one. And I think it's really the same with managed and self-service. So a fully managed service uh, advertiser has partners do everything from creative generation to uh, campaign trafficking to optimization to reporting to pretty much everything that they do. A fully self-serve advertiser is somebody who uses a third party for nothing. Um, They don't use a third party for creative development. They don't use a third party for data management, analytics projects, optimizations, uh, pixeling, anything. So those two sort of um, uh, anodes and cathodes on a light switch um, are really rare. It's really rare that a company is one of those, almost non-existent. But there's a world of infinite possibilities in between. And I think that's why it's hard for companies now to say, oh, we're going to cater strictly to self-service clients or strictly to managed service clients. It's important that we identify ourselves with one of those two things. It's, it's in actuality, like our business and the industry that we operate in needs more partners that can act as a dimmer switch. So um, however much uh, managed service you need and capabilities you need because your team is either temporarily or strategically uh, omitting uh, particular uh, resources that you need to deliver media, companies can deliver that. If you um, want more tools and technology in-house, then you need companies that can deliver that. So it's just about finding the right balance of service, be it manage yourself, for every advertiser. And that can be particularly tricky. And do you think that coming from the brand side, um, do companies choose what kind of level they are going to be, where they're going to sit on that scale? Or do they naturally gravitate to one end or the other, depending on what they want to do? It's, it's, that's a really good question, actually. Um, I think it depends advertiser to advertiser. Some advertisers make a strategic decision. 
we will in-house our media and they will stand by that. And then some advertisers will say, okay, we're going to um, optimize everything we do to a particular cost or outcome. And we don't care how we get there. If that's through a managed service partner, great. If it's through a self-service test and execution, also great. Um, but there are different reasons that drive that underpinning strategic decision, which I think are important. From a brand's perspective, we hear and see a lot about data mobility and analytics and measurement. Um, our most successful companies that have in-housed previously are people who first in-house data measurement analytics to understand the full media spectrum and then in-house media buying, optimization, et cetera. So I think it's less about uh, how that decision comes to be and more about sort of the steps to do it that I think are really nuanced from advertiser to advertiser. So you brought up an interesting point. You mentioned some advertisers are looking to reach the end goal and a certain cost per uh, or a certain ROI, uh, regardless of how they get there. For those advertisers, how often does the cost of working with a managed service partner factor into that? Yeah, so I think it's now more than ever, programmatic does a really good job of delivering an outcome. So like, whenever you look at the programmatic ecosystem, I'm big on saying you have to focus on both sides of everything. You have to focus on the supply side and the demand side. We all agree, and you know, we all work at MIQ and the trade desk and Google and uh, Xander and Amazon. Everybody agrees the future of supply is programmatic. If there's a new inventory channel that came out, that would be programmatic. If AR and VR start spending or uh, serving ads inside their platforms, those will be traded programmatically because it's really efficient. But what on the demand side that means is that brands can really start to activate towards an outcome. So it used to be, if you think back to television or radio or even early online media, even like media is still happening and being bought today in the hundreds of millions of dollars. It's all bought on vanity metrics. It's all bought on a proxy metric. For example, like a CTR or a um, dwell time or a uh, basket ad. Like Those are all proxy metrics for a business's marketing success. And really what we're seeing now is like a transition to an outcome base. So whatever the advertisers get KPI'd on, get bonused on, whatever their CEO puts in their updates or their investor um, packs, that's what advertisers want delivered through media. And that's how they want to start to set up their media campaigns. So how do they factor in the cost of that? They know if let's say you're a telecom provider and your cost per gross ad of a new subscriber is $55. Some people won't care how they deliver that $55 uh, gross per new customer, as long as you can work back into that. Other companies will say, we want it delivered, but we want it delivered through our tools and technology. So you have both. Um, But ultimately, the end goal is always a singular metric that that business cares about. It's usually a customer acquisition of some kind, whether it's a car driven off the lot, a soda purchase off the shelf, or a uh, cell phone subscription bought. That's cool. For uh, for companies that are focused on self-serve primarily, is there still a role for partners in the space that normally focus on managed service? Yeah, definitely. And I think that goes back to sort of that, it's not a binary decision. Um, I think when you think about every piece that goes into a campaign, I like to think about it in kind of four key pillars, like strategy, 
like brands are usually really great at knowing the strategy and how they want to talk to consumers. They might bring in outside consultants, which would be a managed service element to help them analyze the market, bring in data, um, you know, make data back decisions using customer analysis. The second stage would be planning. Like how can they have pre-investment intelligence to make any campaigns that they run or execute smarter? And that planning stage, you know, they can either do all of that research themselves with, you know, two-way mirrors and ladyfinger cookies and sodas and all that. Um, or they can work with a partner who can really bring planning um, in an intelligent way to them. If they can't get all that data themselves, that would be an insertion point for a managed service partner. Execution. And when people think of self-service, they really think about just the execution bucket. Like a lot of companies want to execute the media themselves. They want to trade the campaigns, press the buttons, put the bids in and make the optimizations. Like they want to do that themselves. And that's fine. Like they can do that. Um, there are ways that companies can help service that either through optimization tools, um, better performance uh, analytics, uh, custom algorithm writing, et cetera. Definitely still a lot of managed service providers can play inside that execution bucket. And then finally, analysis. So strategy, planning, execution, analysis, the measurement of everything. Almost every company I know uses some kind of third party or managed service provider to help them in the measurement journey. Um, that could be something like a Nielsen or an IRI or a Polk data about cars. It doesn't matter. There's always a component of managed service inside that cycle from over almost every advertiser I've seen. But when people think about in-housing, they tend to only focus on one of those four pillars, which is execution. And the reason why execution is being in-house first is because it's the most formulaic um, in the eyes of advertisers. Like, how can I just like hit this formula right? But really the value in companies inside the spaces are those other buttresses that hold up execution. Like, how can you make execution better through better strategy, better planning, and on the other side, better analytics? Good example would be, let's say you are a completely self-service advertiser and you run predominantly on Google. Um, and Google is your DSP of choice. And let's say the trade desk rolls out a new feature or a new partnership that Google doesn't have. The one thing you can be sure of is that the, that Google is never going to do is buy campaigns on the trade desk. But you don't want to redesign your whole operation. You don't want to redesign your entire business with new systems, new platforms, new people just to try something new on the trade desk. That's a great insertion point for a managed service partner that has access and can act as a bit of a laboratory or laboratory, if you will, um, <laughs> to... Uh, Thank you very much. You're welcome, Will. Um, to try new platforms or data providers or whatever it might be at a sort of low cost. Now, does the role change? So we've previously done work with Advertiser Perceptions where we've talked to brands who were in-housing, and we've seen that there's kind of a distinction where you have brands and advertisers who are looking for... Uh, a hand-holding partner to work with them every step of the way and help them execute versus uh, brands and advertisers who are looking for someone to kind of teach them how to ride a bike, so to speak, mm. where they're looking for someone to come in and help them do things for themselves. How has that, what does that dichotomy look like to you? And how does a brand identify whether they're ready to do one or the other? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it, historically, it has been two buckets. Like there were companies like we're going full self serve. That's it. That's all we're going to do. Like Trade Desk came out. It was like you take our platform on. That's it. Like you will service this and run the media yourself. Great. Um, and then there were companies 
that were like, we are fully managed service. We will not give you tools and access to the things that we have. What you've seen, the, what you've seen is those sort of barriers melt down between those two. Trade Desk and Google and other companies now offer like some strategic services inside their DSP. And companies like us who had a very big managed service swing now offer tools to make those platforms better. So that sort of dissolution of the barriers or uh, uh, let's call it like the crumbling of those walls is sort of complete. And now you can get you know, cross DSP self-service tools, which can help your business be stronger. Um, and then you can also get uh, managed service support on singular DSPs. So like, and that has changed and that has evolved. So first of all, the barriers have become smaller between the buckets. Um, and I would say pretty much non-existent. And then the second piece, which I, I think is kind of what you're getting at, is how do people really nail um, any kind of transition? And I think of it as sort of like learning how to drive. Like when you first learn how to drive, your parent or an adult sits you in the front seat, talks you through driving. And then you start driving on a parking in a parking lot, and then you go onto a road, but they're still there beside you, right? So it's like they're driving and explaining. You're driving in a controlled environment and they're explaining. And then you're driving in a live environment, like you're out on the road or the highway or et cetera. They're explaining less. And then finally, you drive alone and you're ready to like perform on your own. It's really similar for the steps on um, in-housing uh, when it comes to media. It's like, you know, we'll run campaigns and explain to you while we're doing it full speed. Um, then we will talk to you about you trying a couple things with our tools and services, how the car works, how the buttons work, you know, what are the things I can do to make things easier. Then we'll let, we think you should run a little faster. Like, hey, here's a couple more campaigns. Here's a multi-DSP execution. And then finally, it's like, take the car. It's yours. Enjoy. Um, so that's been a really interesting sort of journey on the execution piece. And then more underpinning inside that, Rob, I think is our most successful people that take this journey in-house data, like I said earlier, data and analytics projects first, because if you don't like, if you don't understand your data and you don't control your invoicing with your data partners, uh, how you're measuring the efficacy of your media, any in-housing efforts you make are going to be really, um, really hard to prove the, the value in. So if you can't measure it, did it happen? I guess is the way to put it. It's like it's not a Guinness Book of World Record record unless somebody shows up to actually um, measure it. From an advertiser's perspective, do you think the crumbling of the the walls, as you put it, between um, managed service and self serve providers, do you think that's made it easier for them to get to a better outcome, but made the decision of how you get to that outcome harder? A hundred percent, and I think it it's. It's their demand to do that, right? Like advertisers are demanding a change in the marketplace where they need someone to help them get to this outcome. And with like the great efficiency of programmatic and how programmatic is like effectively traded, there's huge complexity in translating that efficiency to an outcome. And like advertisers have noticed that. So actually this change of like the dissolution of barriers is really, really, really being pushed by advertisers. And I think what you've seen traditionally is big holding companies and agencies play that role as like the Rosetta Stone between an outcome and media uh, media companies and media distribution of dollars, right? 
And I think what advertisers are realizing is the agency can play a more strategic role in that. Like they can really focus on how to leverage their agency for the most strategic bits. But when it comes to execution, do they need that intermediary between them and the end inventory? Um, I think in some cases, major advertisers definitely need an agency. And I think in some cases, major advertisers understand enough about their media mix modeling that they don't need an agency um, or they need an agency for less particular things. Um, so I do think that um, advertisers probably find navigating that, call it challenging or like uh, murky, like how do, how do I get through this, et cetera. But I, I do think the decision to do it and I do think the decision to own more and control more of their destiny is becoming more prevalent. And there are a slew of companies, ourselves included, that can help people sort of that, that like uncertain time. So, Charlie, we've talked about this a lot offline, uh, and it's become a much bigger deal recently. Uh, why do you think direct-to-consumer companies have become so successful? Great question, Rob. Thanks for asking. Um, I think, uh, to be honest, if you think about D2C companies, they're so small in comparison to the spaces they're trying to disrupt. So if you think about um, a D2C company that's going to launch a deodorant, like is P&G or SCJ or whomever, Unilever, are they really worried about a custom um, deodorant company stealing huge amounts of market share from them? The answer is no. They're not really interested. These Take, for example, P&G. P&G could probably with a shift in a dollar in its share price, easily acquire every D2C company inside the personal hygiene space in a day and not miss a beat. So they can buy all of that market share back. What has these big companies nervous is the data-driven marketing approach of D2C brands. So D2C brands aren't effectively product companies. Some of them are. like I'd argue like a Ministry of Supply makes great product. And I think a lot of these companies do make great products, but what they are extremely effective at is their marketing plan, their data-driven marketing plan. And that's a, that's a big, 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 like attractive feature for large companies. And so these D2C companies have risen and become powerful because they're being more maneuverable and they understand outcome-based media a little bit better than these traditional um, sort of like frigates of media in the PNG and the Unilevers, et cetera. And what you're starting to see is, is these CPG companies or even any big advertiser is starting to try and structure their business and their marketing more like a D2C. So I think D2Cs have become some of the best marketers in the world because they understand how to deliver an outcome. But what you'll, what you'll notice is like a lot of times in a D2C, someone who is working at a toothbrush company like Quip, um, like their marketing plan, if you pick it up and put it on a company like Casper with Shell's mattresses, or you pick it up and you put it on a company like um, Farmer's Dog that sells dog food, like those marketing plans and the, the general framework of those is super similar. Just like the targeting keywords and things are a bit different. The product life cycles might be different. But in general, the plan is the same. And you're starting to see big companies, big CPGs start to model their business and their marketing more like that. Um, and I think that's why D2C companies have been so well. Yeah, I think the big one for me was uh, meal kits, which are exploding right now as people are looking for ways to do home cooking uh, as an alternative to 
I guess, eating mac and cheese every night. I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know what your option is once you get sick of ordering from the same three or four restaurants. <laughs> totally. And I think like, okay, meal kits, great example, right? It's like, uh, for me, a meal kit right now is like, how do you speak to a consumer during this time? Like, I think companies like that have a unique approach. There hasn't been meal kits before. Like maybe their biggest rival right now is probably Instacart, right? And I think like, if you have a battle between those two companies, it's like, how do you, who can market better is going to control what food is on the table. And I think what you've seen is that these meal kit companies are exploding because they're doing a better job marketing to a consumer than maybe Instacart is to talk about, Hey, everything you can get from a meal kit company, we can deliver to your door anyway. All you have to do is Google a recipe. And it's like, you know, how, how hasn't that like surfaced as like a bit of a competition, et cetera, is interesting to me. Yeah, well, it's also the right time, right place. Like what we've been looking at recently is looking at uh, the impact of coronavirus on restaurants and what that's been doing. And one thing that we've been seeing is that it's not just that interest in ordering takeout and carry out from restaurants has gone up because people are stuck at home, but interest in cooking is at the kind of level that we normally see around Thanksgiving or Christmas where people are interested in cooking. But unlike Thanksgiving or Christmas, instead of looking at really big elaborate recipes. They're looking at more standard day-to-day, what can I cook in 30 minutes kind of recipes. And so that ends up, I think, being another area where these meal where these meal kit companies are just in the right place at the right time now. And you know, you previously seen companies like Blue Apron struggling after the Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods, which suddenly gave them a meal delivery service. Now it's a rising tide and everyone's up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and the difference between Blue Apron, Plated, um, et cetera, the difference is marketing strategy. For me, I, I, I'm not knocking these companies. I think their products are obviously nuanced and differentiated. They all have their USPs. But whichever one speaks to me better is going to get my money and get my first trial. Like I've tried Blue Apron. I've tried Plated. Um, I have a personal preference. I'm not going to share it on this call. I'm way too much of a you know, diplomat to do that. You coward. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's cowardice. Whichever company personalizes media better and makes me feel something associated with their brand is probably going to get their, my vote. I'll give you a good example. I'll give you the example that tipped me over the edge was when one of the companies spoke about their packaging. Because when I received my meal kit from one of the other companies, I thought this is, a, this packaging is a total waste. Like I'm creating more waste for convenience. And like, that's something that the next message I got from another company was uh, the low waste meal delivery kit. They got my money because that was something I'd already thought about. But they had, they had listened to market feedback, probably. They had collected things, they had changed their marketing strategy, and they were there with a the message. And I think that timely nature and optimizing towards that outcome with personal uh, nuance to it is what helped them deliver like effective media to me as now a paying customer. So like that's just like an example of like how personalization of advertising can make a big difference in the uh, end outcome for a marketer. That's it for another episode of Insights Track. Thank you very much for listening, and we very much hope you're staying alert. Wonderful. Yeah, that was great.